Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe. That beautiful cafe music means that we are in France, in Lourdes, France, on pilgrimage with the Order of Malta. And uh, this is like always a wonderful, wonderful time for me to be on pilgrimage with the Order of Malta, to be in Lourdes, France, to be with our uh, our Lord's sick, the lo- lovely malads, the people I get to meet, the stories, their companions, and certainly working with the knights and dames of Malta is always a blessing for me, in fact, I met a knight of Malta. His name is Doug Sandvig, and I brought him in because he, uh, it, w- as a knight of Malta, works closely, uh, is very active in the prison ministry for the Order of Malta. He works with the North American Apostolate uh, in that uh, in that area, and also he works with uh, does some work with Kairos. Many are familiar with Kairos' work um, in uh, non-denominational work in prison ministry, and so. Doug's welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe. Hi, Jeff. It's uh, good to be here today. Well, so I brought you in because, you know, one of the great things, the, the Order does so many great works around the world. And I think one of the, um, and they really specialize, I think, in the sort of lost and forgotten, the poor, the, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, and certainly our prison populations all over the world, but specifically like many of my listeners will be, uh, in uh, in North America, right? Yes. And and to be able to understand, you know, we, I think we all understand that in the, the prison ministry is a difficult ministry for for many reasons. And so, I, I wanted to invite you in to talk a little bit about what the order does in that area, but also specifically kind of why you're involved. So, if I were to start, tell me first of all, tell me what is what what happens in prison ministry? Well, uh, prison ministry is really uh, an exciting place because it's a you get to witness firsthand really genuine conversion mm. for people who have really hard lives. They live in a really dark place. And for them to experience the love of, of Christ is just such a powerful force. It's really an unusual dynamic in their life. And so it's very pronounced when you see that start to happen. Right. I imagine that's kind of beautiful to see. And I think it's kind of hard maybe for a lot of people to fathom the, the concept of conversion, right? Because I think the prisons sometimes for some folks are places where they're boxes we put people in because we don't want them in society, right? We, we, we kick them out or they kick themselves out by their actions, right? And so it's easy for us to sort of separate ourselves in that way. And we don't often think about, um, you know, rehabilitation, let alone conversion. And so you experience that in this prison ministry. Very, very clearly. And uh, in your introduction, you mentioned forgotten and marginalized people and in my opinion, there are very few people more forgotten than those in prison mm-hmm. because they're all behind bars. Right. They're on the other side of walls. I mean, there's a, there's a physical, literal separation. There is. Right. We all know sick people. We have them in our lives. We know poor people. We rarely encounter people on the other side of the walls unless you actually go into a prison unit or write letters to them. Mm-hmm. And so they, they're really easy to forget because they're invisible to us. Now, I think also some people might uh, be of the mindset that, that, well, they're the ones that did this thing, this terrible, heinous act, whatever. They're paying their debt or they just need to be put away forever. And 
it's hard sometimes for people to forgive. I mean, Jesus, his, his, his ministry and mission on earth was constantly talking about, you know, mercy and forgiveness and forgiving your neighbor seven times 70, you know, just sure. the number of times. And that's really hard for us to do, especially when it's someone who's committed a crime against us, a family, a, a people that we know. That's really difficult, isn't it? It's extremely. And there, one of the barriers to people uh, serving in prison ministry is one this this notion that they deserve the hard life that's mm. been given to them, that it's their choices that got them there, uh, and that we're not really drawn to serve these people. Uh, we don't have warm, good feelings for them the way we do with a young child with cancer or somebody right. that is an innocent victim. And the other real significant barrier is that most of us, to some extent, are afraid of them. Mm. Uh, we don't want to go into prison ministry for fear of it's a, a violent place or when these people get out, they're going to show up on my doorstep and uh, become some kind of a burden to me. Right. And Well, just the intimidation of showing up at the prison and the first things you start doing and there's like these searches and there's these loud clanging doors that slam in front of you and behind you and and obviously... You know, officers that have been there for years and know what they're doing, and we're thankful for them. But certainly, but they—they're not always. You know, it's not—it's not like visiting the, the local hospital or uh, you know, uh, old folks' home where everyone's like welcoming and greeting you. Oh, it's a whole different environment. It, it's totally different. You know, if you go to a soup kitchen or a hospital, everybody is thank you for your service, right. welcome, and it's this really inviting environment. And you drive up to a prison unit after you've had your background check completed and you see wires and walls and towers and uh, all sorts of barriers. And then in the process of going into the prison unit, what you especially notice when you start is all the sounds. Mm. And there's buzzers and clanging gates, locks latching, uh, you go through numerous checkpoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's highly compartmentalized. Uh, and it's when you first start out, it's so intimidating to yeah. be confronted with these physical signs that this is a scary place, uh, even though once you get used to it, it's not scary at all. Right. And I guess the, I guess the point I would try to make in all of this, just for myself, um, and you might agree, Doug, is that... Uh, it's intimidating and it might make someone not want to go right for fear of their life or their well-being or their family or, or just being afraid or, but just really all that stuff that intimidates so much. But the reality is that should help you understand what a, a dark and bleak world it is for the ones that are on the other side. It really is. And, uh, one of the things that I really noticed when I started going into prisons is that separation itself is the punishment and you mm. think about the nature of sin, and sin is a separation from God, and the punishment is separation from God. Right. A lot of people think, when, when I teach RCIA a lot, and a lot of people talk about hell and what is hell like, and while we don't have a hard, fa- hard and fast description of hell, just like I, I like to describe it as that loss of, of a, a sense of hope, like the, 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 the theological virtue of hope is gone, and you're, you know, you're, you're, God is not there, right? You're in the total, the total absence of God, and, and that's a living hell, right? That's, that's, that's not a good place to be, and I would imagine sometimes in prison they might start to feel that way. It, yeah, that's a very common uh, 
common feeling that is prevalent in prison un, uh, units. Uh, I've been visiting with some chaplains inside units about what are the, the per- particular pastoral needs of the people mm-hmm. that they see. Without a doubt, the first one is dealing with anger. Yeah. And anger is such a powerful dynamic that led them to be where they are. Right. Uh, another is frustration, where you don't have to be involved in the prison industry very long to see what a kind of a grinding mm. of your humanity it is, and that's intensely frustrating. Things mm. seem arbitrary. Prisons are places with lots and lots of rules. There is a huge imbalance between the correctional officer and the offenders. And so uh, there's that constant fear and frustration. And then another dynamic that is really significant is just loneliness. I imagine. Where uh, when I visit people in prison, they're so bewildered about this guy who keeps coming back to the unit to see them when their friends and their family don't show up to see them. And it, uh, they don't really understand it, mm. and they're really grateful, and they're just delighted. But to get little pieces of the outside world right, I can brought, imagine. brought into it's prison, sunlight. it is. It's like uh, uh, water when you're in the desert, and uh, all kinds of little things from the outside world that we remind them of right. are just uh, so precious to them. Interesting. And, you know, also I think... There's kind of a really an altered sort of reality there, right? It's a different language, a different their relationships with each other, how they express themselves. You mentioned anger. I imagine those are pretty high on the priority list of how they react to each other. That's what they know, right? And and it's just can be a uh, just from everything with with the economy. You know what is a value. Uh, in that prison system, I imagine it's we're, we're so foreign to that to the notion of what happens on a day to day basis in there. Very true. Uh, they have to assume this sort of culture of bravado: never submit to somebody, mm. never show you're frightened, uh, be wary of all others. And in the context of that really uh, rigid corporate culture, if you will. We come in and, and bring them the love of Christ, and it's so out of tune with kind of that false facade that they have to keep up that when they get introduced to the love of Christ, it is just so beautiful and refreshing to them. So how does that happen? I mean, so you've made it through the doors, right? You, 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 yeah. you're, you're in the prison now. You don't just, I'm, I know you don't just wander the prisons and look for people that want to talk. How does that structure it in a way that uh, it, it maximizes your ability to do ministry? It, it takes a lot of organization. Uh, I'm really fortunate to be involved in the Kairos Prison Ministry where they have that institutional presence where they help train us to go mm-hmm. into the unit. Uh, they're organized to interface with the wardens, uh, and the wardens uh, have to approve everything you're bringing into a prison unit. Right. The wardens have to have some level of confidence that the people who are coming in know what they're doing. And we have to constantly remember that what we're trying to do in bringing faith and Christ's love to people in the prison uh, is very separate from their mission of uh, detaining these people, protecting them from each other, from the officers. And so our missions are very different And it takes an awful lot of trust 
on their part to let us come in and do our thing. So we're talking to Doug Sandvig. He's a Knight of Malta, works in prison ministry. Uh, and uh, we're talking about what he does in prison ministry, and we're going to get into more detail on that uh, when we come back. We'll take a quick break. Before we do take that break, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bester Zemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Blessed Teresa Bracco was born in 1924 in Italy to a humble Catholic farming family. Her parents taught her the Catholic faith in their home in the evenings as she worked by day helping her mother with keeping their home and her father with tending the needs around the farm. They prayed the rosary every night before bed as they lived the idyllic, simple, and humble life of a faithful, rural family. The peace of their home was shattered, however, when the Nazis invaded Italy as World War II broke out across the land. The people of her region tried not to get involved as the fighting escalated between the Germans and the partisans who resisted the Nazi takeover. As the fighting neared their area, the Nazis began moving into the small town and enforcing strict and punitive measures against the locals in hopes of quashing the partisan resistance. Teresa refused to support the German effort and had previously declared that I would rather die than to give in. Little did she know she would soon encounter that reality. The Nazis moved into the very area where Teresa and her family lived. In the skirmishes that ensued, Teresa was taken captive by the Germans. A beautiful girl of just 20 years, Teresa caught the eye of one of the Nazi soldiers who dragged her into the nearby woods and attempted to have his way with her. She fought back valiantly in order to preserve her holy purity. Her captor, in anger and retribution, choked her and then shot her in the head. About Teresa Bracco, Pope St. John Paul II said, To young people in particular, I hold up this young woman whom the church is proclaiming blessed so that they may learn from her clear faith, witness to in daily commitment, moral consistency without compromises, and the courage of sacrificing even life if necessary, in order not to betray the values that give it meaning. I'm Bestrozimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back at the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting here uh, with a wonderful cafe au lait in front of me, a couple of croissants. I'm sitting here with my friend, Doug Sandvig, who is a Knight of Malta, and he's working uh, in the prison ministry. He's there in the prisons. I'm sure he's happy to be working in the ministry, not actually being in the prison, I'm certain. Since you've been so involved in this, you see what it's like in there. I do. Yeah, it's not a friendly and happy place, is it? Uh, in a way, it isn't, and in a way, it is. Yeah, so tell me how it is, because that's interesting, because a lot of people would think, like, well, there's just no hope in there. What I find, and the men that I deal with are probably the cream of the crop, Yeah. in that they've participated in a Kairos weekend retreat, and so it's in the process of forming a Christian community inside a prison unit, and... Uh, so when I arrive at the unit, uh, I see old friends, 
and they're just happy to greet me. They're happy to see me. Uh, we tend to gather in uh, the gymnasium area of the gym. Right. And so uh, on a typical, uh, I'll describe maybe a, a typical prayer and share session that we have on, okay. on a weeknight. And I'll arrive at the unit about 6 o'clock. We go into this big gymnasium. Uh, there will be anywhere from two to six volunteers from the outside that are part of the Kairos group. And then uh, the men in white, the, the prisoners, uh, there might be anywhere from 65 to 100 of them. Mm. The prayer and share is designed to be their show. They are the owners of their Christian community, and they are building their church. Uh, but they can't conduct it unless they have some outside volunteers show up right. to be a part of it. So they organize a, a big prayer circle. We'll have some announcements, sing a few songs, and then we break into small groups of maybe seven to five prisoners and just a set of really thoughtful questions for them to reflect on. And each man gets an opportunity to speak uninterrupted about his questions. And it might be something, uh, when have you noticed Christ's presence in your mm. life this week? Uh, have you had a difficult time seeing Christ in someone else this week? Uh, and so they're very thought-provoking, but a very practical level to try to see their call to be men of God, uh, see how difficult it is to live out the challenges of that mm. call inside a prison unit. What I find is in these small prayer and share circles, uh, it's a, a place for them to have quiet reflection on who they are as men of God in the crazy environment of a prison world. And there are lots of dark places, lots yeah. of dark people. And this little weekly session where they get to join with their brothers in the Kairos community and join in prayer and, and just open up and share their lives with each other. Uh, it's really hard to form trust in prison community and the prayer and share circles are really a trusting place. And That's beautiful. And I would imagine that uh, they haven't really had a lot of trust in their lives, right? The people that they could trust, it was always every man or woman for himself or herself. And, and, and I imagine they'd really look forward to this opportunity to come to a place that's... Because nowhere else really in the prison are they going to have this opportunity. I would, I would say it even goes beyond that. And for most of these guys, they have not known trusting relationships throughout their lives. Mm. The, the people that were supposed to love them have often abused right. them. Uh, or abandon them or... Right. Yeah. And, and so they are where they are usually because of a collection of really bad choices. Mm -hmm. And something has led them to make the choice to become a man of God. Wow. And it is... What's fascinating is when you see these guys in prison trying to be men of God, uh, they're not any different than those of us on the outside. And they they struggle with their faith they struggle with the challenges of family relationships sure because they're separated from their families one of the most uh powerful things that i've seen is the sadness in men when they don't get a chance to bury 
their family members. Right, you can't go. I mean, we, we, I always think like, oh, you know, I'm going to another wedding or I'm going to a, another baptism or another birthday party. Well, they don't get to go to any. Yeah, and to, to see the sadness that they have of not being able to pay final respects mm. with their Especially loved ones. Especially that funeral, yeah. And the guys that I see have, have been there a long time. Uh, these aren't short-timers. These are guys that are in for more than 20 years. And they've lost their family members. Yeah. And I had, uh, in our little prayer and share circle one time, one of the, the men who's, uh, he and I are, are fairly close to each other, uh, he was describing his last time in prison. And he's had several round trips right. in the course of his life. And he said, this time... I didn't have anybody to put on my visitor list. Wow. And that was just so sad to that me. Is sad. Uh, but the, the bright part of it was, is that he said, I look at the Kairos community in prison as my family now. And these are my brothers. And they are the source of my loving relationships. Wow. And, and so when you look at that sense of conversion this isn't some scheme of his to con somebody to try to get an early release date this guy's going to be living in prison and he's trying to become a spiritual man where he is that's beautiful that and that's it's just don't need to see that and to know that that's that that's happening so now not every type of prison ministry though takes place inside literally inside the prison so if you don't feel up to going in or if you want to look at other ways of doing it, I, I know that they have uh, other ways to encounter prisoners. Describe some of that. Well, one of the, the best ways that I have is uh, we've got a pen pal program, and it's an anonymous program where we use a safe address. So the person that you're writing to in prison doesn't know your last name. They don't know your real address. And it in a strange way that... Uh, makes both sides uh, op- able to be more open, right. able to be more vulnerable. Uh, and if you get somebody who is a very diligent corresponding partner, you get just these beautiful exchanges with one another. And, uh, you know, when you look at the men in prison, getting a letter from the outside is so precious to them. I had a fellow that I met maybe a couple weeks ago who was released after eight and a half years in prison. And he said to me that uh, letters have souls. Wow. And that these letters, uh, you know, guys in prison don't have a lot of possessions, but one of the things that they will save are their letters. And they don't th- throw their letters That's away. That's a window to the outside for them. It is. Literally. It you is. Know, you think about the old, you know, uh, you know 2,000 years ago and the scriptures, and I would imagine that, you know, when the apostles were writing letters that, that went to these different churches like Corinth or wherever, that they would hold on to those. In fact, that's why, they, that's why we have a Bible. <laughs> and think of how many of our scriptural letters came from prison. Yeah, that's right. Paul was in prison. Peter. There's, yeah. uh, there's something about that environment, I think, that uh, invites a lot of internal reflection and invites your need to communicate with others. And... Uh, you know, the pen pal program is a fantastic way to connect with somebody inside the walls in a really safe way. So you've really enjoyed it. How many pen pals do you have? Uh, I have one who's an official pen pal, and then I probably have about a dozen people that I write to frequently. Really? And the the one pen pal is a prolific writer. Uh, he's a man on death row. Mm. 
And the two of us have become very important part of each other's spiritual journey. And that is awesome. He, uh, one of the things that I learned, I'll, sh- I'll share two things that I learned in Pen Pal program. And one, one of the, the best springboards for good conversation is to send a picture of dogs. Really? And dogs all have little personalities. Yeah. Some are gregarious and friendly. Some are little schemers. And so guys in prison who tend to have a hard time expressing emotions can ascribe human traits and see human traits in dogs. The other thing is dogs are really non-judgmental. Yeah. And so there's a very uh, natural warmth because they're totally free of judgment. And it's also something from the outside world that they don't get in prison that really reminds them of things on the outside. So dogs have served as a wonderful... That's really interesting. Yeah. They're a great springboard for sharing with guys in prison. Right. We all make fun of and have, uh, you know, all this adverse reaction to memes on the Internet, you know, with pictures of kittens and balls of yarn and, and little puppy dogs or whatever. But this is, like, really beautiful, maybe a little mm-hmm. medicinal as well. You know, dogs are incredibly loyal, so they're a great springboard. The other thing that's really important is that I ask men to pray for somebody. Ah. And there is no higher calling on their human dignity than to invite them to pray for people we know in need. And that helps them know that they have value. Oh, it does. It gives them dignity to know that they're praying for somebody else. They're doing something. And when I get letters from, particularly from my death row pal, that he's prayed for somebody I know that needs prayers, and you share that with them, it's very humbling for somebody to know somebody on death row is praying for them. Mm, that's beautiful. And that's it absolutely is beautiful. Really, uh, they will almost always bring tear to their eyes, and they'll share it with others. And so these prayers are little seeds that are scattered and sown and really start to produce some wonderful fruit. Doug, if someone wants to get involved quickly, you know, what, what would we tell them? How would they want to get in, if they want to get involved? They're saying, like, I'm interested. I want to know more about this. If you wanted to contact the Order of Malta, do you want me to give their address? yeah. Address is 1730 Northwest, uh, number 403, Mm -hmm. Washington, D.C., 20036. Right, okay. And if you have interest in getting a pen pal or learning more about prison ministry, uh, we'd be happy to have you come along with us. Doug, thank you so much for spending some time and helping us to know more about those who are lost and forgotten in our prisons. It's been fun being here. It's good to be loved, and we're loved by our Blessed Mother. And so we'll close with a a prayer to Our Lady of Lourdes asking for her intercession. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full Full of grace, grace, the Lord Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, women, and blessed blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother Mother of God, pray pray for for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from the Most Reverend Martin D. Holly, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.